seat, everybody. Good morning to you. Uh, let's do a little better. Good morning to you. Well, it's so good to see you and be with you. And thank you folks for watching online today. We pray the Lord is going to be strong in your life. Father, as we study this really tough topic, we trust the truth of Scripture and we trust the Holy Spirit to do the teaching. So make things clear to each one of us that we need to see and know. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Uh, last week we started a short series on authority. Probably most of us in the room have never heard anybody teach on it. And if you've seen it, there's been a lot of abuse and craziness. But uh, there's great blessings Great blessings in what the scripture says to be a strong truth in our lives. And before we read the passage, uh, we have gone to Israel every so many years. And uh, we are going next spring, April 1st through the 11th. And it is a trip of a lifetime. It is literally my favorite place on all the earth. It just makes the scripture come alive. Uh, you can sign up. You have to pay your own way. Uh, right there in your bulletin, there's a link that'll go right to the website where you can register. And we can take about 40 people, roughly, is about how many people we can take. And so your deposit uh, saves you a spot. So if you'd like to go, we would really love to have you. <clears throat> now, we're going to review a little bit from last week, just a little bit from Romans chapter 13. Uh, let's read the first verse. Everybody got your Bibles? Everybody got your Bibles? Okay. Romans 13, I'm out of English Standard Version today. It says, let every person, and every person means what? Every person be subject to the governing authorities. And last week, I identified to the best of my ability the, the human authorities the Lord has provided for us Christians. One is government, and then two is church anywhere around the world. Family is a third one, and employment is a fourth one. If you work at Lexmark, University of Kentucky, uh, you work for somebody has a plumbing business, there is levels of authority in those companies and we need to learn to work with them. And I have found, I learned this as a 20-year-old and I'd been a Christian about two years, it changed the dynamics in our family. Uh, my dad owned uh, several small businesses and we farmed. It took practically all the anger out of me toward my dad and my brother toward my dad. And we saw my dad and mom as, as sources that God would guide us through. And over the next, I don't know, 20 years until my dad went home, my dad and mom were never wrong about anything. 
when I went to them and say, what do you think? And even if they didn't have the expertise in that area, they seemed to have the Lord guide them. And I didn't think about this till the first service. One of the reasons I'm at Church of the Savior is that my dad 30 years ago said, Steve, you need to get out of the domination. So if you're glad I'm here, you can thank my dad in heaven. If you're not glad I'm here, you can blame him when you get there, okay? <laughs> so authority can protect us. That's God's design. Authority can shape us sometimes against our will. And let me read on a little further. <clears throat> For there is no authority, say no authority, except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, now look at verse 3. Three different times it uses the word resist. <clears throat> Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then just do what's right. And you will receive his approval for he is God's servant, God's minister, as I put on the last slide, for your good. So God has placed authority over us for our good. <clears throat> now, we kind of hammered this issue last week. And it's kind of controversial that there's no authority unless God has established authority you say, Steve, you're talking about in Iran. You're talking about in Washington. You're talking about in Frankfurt. Well, yes. God has a plan. I don't always understand the plan. I can't see what he's doing. Now, I want to give this sidebar here. <clears throat> is every election in our country or around the world, is it God's perfect will? And to me, that would be no. Well, is, are you telling me because established, authority is established by God, that every person that comes to power, whether it's governor, mayor, president, is God's perfect will? I would say no. But somehow God, even when we make bad choices, will somehow work behind the scenes to bring good out of this. Now, if you want to keep a piece of paper there, I'm going to turn to Numbers and I'm going to read several verses that illustrates this. <clears throat> numbers that is in front of Deuteronomy. At least it was yesterday. I'm sorry, I said Numbers. How about Judges? <laughs> judges chapter 11. This gives the balance to free will versus God's sovereign will. Verse 11. Judges 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was, what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them. And they provoked, everyone say provoked, the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Astaroth. 
So the anger of the Lord, verse 14, was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunderers, to the raiders who raided them. And he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand them. So write this somewhere in your margin. God has given every human, including you and me, the greatest gift we can ever have. And that is the ability to choose. We are not robots. We have been given from the day of our birth the ability to choose evil or choose good. The whole chapter of Deuteronomy 28 is choose choose who you will serve. Choose to follow me or if you choose evil, that's all your deal. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is probably watching the sun come up from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives looks over into Jerusalem. And I think with tears running down his face, brokenhearted, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And in a short time, there will be armies that will throw siege works up around these walls. And every stone will be turned off of each other all because you turned your back on me. So as I said three different times, the scripture says don't resist the authorities that God has placed over you. Now, whenever scripture makes a statement, it always speaks to human tendency. So if the scripture says three times, Steve, don't resist. Steve, don't resist. Steve, don't resist. If you resist them, you're going to be resisting me. It means my tendency is going to be naturally to resist. And if people don't understand... If people don't understand the principles of God's word and you don't get this, you're going to miss God most of your life because you're going to be resisting him rather than flowing with him. Now, I think there's two reasons we we resist the authority, whether it's the, the policeman, whether it's the teacher, whether it's the pastor, whether it's your father, whether it's your mother. We just naturally resist. It's a guy that owns a business because we don't like people telling us what to do. How many would say that's true about you? We don't like someone telling us what to do. And my first, my first, my first instinct is going to be to defend myself. And the second reason we resist is because authority usually brings pressure. And in, in the case of the, of the home, dad is the hammer and mom is the chisel. And we don't like it, so we run away or we fight or we argue or whatever. Our boss wants us to do stuff at work and so we resist, we argue. And Paul said in verse number, let's see what number is it? Verse number five, 
We need to learn to obey those in authority over us for conscious sake. Everyone say conscious sake. Look at verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, so he doesn't spank us, but also for the sake of conscience. So I'm going to obey, not because they're so sharp, or because they're so pure, or because they know God. It's because I'm a believer. And I'm representing Jesus. And I'm going to do all I can to make this situation good. Does anybody who know this is know this person? Anybody know? This is the most wicked emperor that ever ruled Rome in 700 years. The emperor Nero. He is a guy that had the apostle Peter crucified. He is a one that had the apostle Paul beheaded. That's not in the scripture. That's church tradition. His miserable reign was 12 years. In Acts 27, verse number 24, Paul is first told by Jesus he's going to Rome. And he's got to speak to Caesar. And who is Caesar? This most wicked guy of all time. And the church tried to talk Paul out of it. No, no, no. You can't go to Rome. You can't go to Rome. He said, I've been told I must go to Rome. Even on the ship's journey from Caesarea to Rome, an angel to encourage Paul appeared in the bottom of that ship and said, Paul, you must go to Rome and you must defend the faith to Caesar. Now, if it was you and me, we might have said, I ain't going to Rome. I'm not seeing that murdering fool. I'm not going to be doing that. But Paul had a higher view of authority than we do because he knew God had a plan. And if he didn't go to Rome, the plan would never unfold. Many people got saved around Nero. And eventually Rome kind of got evangelized. That's where Paul was killed. But had he not gone, a lot of wonderful things would not have happened. Number four, verse number seven. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So we as believers, we have to learn to be respectful. All the time. We have to learn to give honor all the time. And I want to give you some very bad news. Can I give you bad news? Are you ready? Good news? Now here's the bad news. Are you ready? Do you know how most of the time we learn to be respectful and learn to give honor? God puts us under people that are hard to respect. Your husband. Now don't laugh and don't point. Your boss. I mean, it could just be a thousand different ways. But most of the time, we don't learn without pressure. It's easy to be respectful to the person that's nice to us. It's hard to be respectful to people that are abusive and callous toward us. 
Now, I said, I said this last week three times, and I'm going to say it again this week two times. Never do evil. Would you say it with me, please? Never do evil, no matter who asks you to do evil. Just because you're under someone's authority, you never do evil. And the next step, you have to learn to appeal. And we're going to talk about that later. Your, your, your boss or somebody in authority asks you to do something that's unreasonable, unpleasant, maybe unrighteous. What do I do? You learn to appeal to see if you can move their heart. Now, anybody know these people? <clears throat> this is the Ten Boom family from Holland. Uh, I don't know what year the picture is. Maybe, I guess, 1935. This is Casper Ten Boom in the center. Uh, his daughter, Corey, I believe, is to his right. As a brand new believer, I got to meet her when I was in Oklahoma. Got to sit and talk with her for about 30 minutes, which was quite, quite a treat. So here they are, Christians, in the midst of, in Netherlands, that has just been overrun by the Nazis. It's a bad place for Christians. There's a new law in the Netherlands. All Jews have to report. And you, they look for records, document, documents of families. And every Jew has to have the Star of David sewn on their exterior coat. So they're easily identified. And then when they get to Star of David, they start disappearing. And they're loaded up into trains. And they're taken to places like Poland and other places where they are killed. The Ten Boom family has a problem. They're Christians. They love Israel. They love the Jews. And they know this is wicked. And yet the government has told them to do this. Now, this is a room. Uh, it's on my bucket list. I want to go to this place. This is, I don't know, maybe the fourth floor. And the Ten Boom family said, we're going to resist the Nazis. We're going to save the lives of people, the apple of God's eye. So they had a stonemason come in and build a false wall. You see the opening where you can see where the false wall. So there's a room about four feet wide and probably about 12 feet long. It's just small enough where you can, big enough where you can cram maybe eight to 10 people in there. And the way you get in there, you crawl into the linen closet and there's a false back. You push that little door open then you can crawl in there close it back close the linen closet and hopefully you're safe so that's that's a photograph of their secret room and they saved the lives of hundreds of jews is that good or bad that's very good give give them a round of applause even though they're all in heaven today if you've never read the book I ask you to buy the book, read the book, read the book of your children to show your children the kind of character and faith it takes to persevere under pressure. Now, so when authority asks you to do something wrong, you appeal first, and then when the appeal doesn't work, you may have to choose to suffer rather than do wrong. 
uh, America, if we keep going in this direction, there may be a time that Christians go to jail for sharing the gospel. If that's, if that's the way it's going to go, so be it. The Ten Boom family was sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. There, Caspar Ten Boom died pretty quickly. Right before the Allies liberated Ravensbrück, uh, dear Betsy, Corey's sister, passed away. I mean, just days before it was liberated. Okay, are you with me so far? Are you following me? Hello, are you listening? Okay, so how, how Steve, does the Heavenly Father use authority to shape us? Well, this is how he uses pressure. I don't like pressure. You don't like pressure either. But if I'm going to become more like Jesus... There are certain attitudes and behaviors and habits that I need to change. And often it only changes because of pressure. And the Lord knows that. Some of the things we blame the devil for, actually the Heavenly Father is working in the scenes because he's bringing pressure to change us. Because we have to have pressure. And not only that, sometimes he will use unrighteous tools To cut away unrighteous attitudes. Wait a minute, Steve. Are you telling me that God would use my wicked, womanizing, drunk boss to shape me into the image of Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's four qualities I want to talk about today. In the first service, I'm over there during worship, sitting on the front row, and I'm praying, Lord, I want these four qualities more and more in my life. And whatever you have to do to get these qualities deeper ingrained in me, I say yes to you. Because the Father's heart, he is more concerned about the product. Everyone say product. What is the product? The product is you and you and you and me. He's more concerned about us than he is the process. He will use multiple processes to mold us into the image of the Lord Jesus. And not only multiple processes, but he will use different tools. For instance, if we're up, if we're in his sculpture studio and he's carving away stuff that doesn't look like Jesus and we resist him and we start pointing our fingers at him and saying, that's not fair. and I'm not standing for this and I don't have to take that. And we get up and we run out of his studio. Guess what? We will, write, we will run right into a different studio of his. He has lots of studios. And he can use a little pick. He can use a little awl. He can use a chisel. He can use a hammer. Or he will bring out the big boy. What's, what, does, what does a sledgehammer weigh? Does anybody know? It weighs... 
a lot. <laughs> it weighs a lot. And if your head is too thick, because you won't listen. I wish I could tell, we had time to tell you all the stories. The Lord has tried to look at me and get me to change. And then when he could get my attention, he, he went and got, either he got a switch or he had somebody else get a switch. And then he used a fly swatter on me. And then he used a paddle on me because I was still a knucklehead and I was resisting him. My heavenly father has put knots on my pumpkin because he loves me and he loves you so much. And I had a friend I grew up with. We grew up, I grew up in a mobile home park and he did too. And his name was Billy and Billy was, he was such a hard headed lad. I mean, he fought with everybody. He wouldn't listen to his parents. He wouldn't listen to his teacher. He wouldn't listen to anybody. And when he was about 16 or 17, he told me one day, I've just had it. I'm not listening to any coaches. I'm not listening to any teachers. I'm not listening to anybody. I'm going to be my own man. I said, well, what are you going to do? I just, he said, I just quit school. What are you going to do when you quit school? I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> okay, so you're not going to listen to anybody. And you're, when are you going to Paris Island? Oh, in four weeks. I said, Billy, you're going to learn to listen. Or you will be buried under sand for years. And you know, he learned to listen. But he got in so much trouble. Because he had a chip on his shoulder. When somebody would try to tell him something in the south, they call it bowing up. He just bow up. You're not telling me what to do. Well, yeah, there's always somebody big enough to tell you what to do. So he's going to use these tools. Right before I came to, to Kentucky to go to Asbury Seminary, I think I was 29, I worked for this newspaper. I was over circulation. And then the publisher moved me to advertising. And so there was about 15 or 20 of us. We were responsible for raising the budget so for everybody else. And there were these 15 or 20 salesmen in this big room. And I had all these clients and I would call on them. And uh, uh, I just did my job. One day I came back to my desk. It was about seven o'clock at night. And I was already working with FCA and teenagers and Bible studies. And uh, I was running late. So I just sold a big full page ad to a big furniture company. And I was supposed to sit down and do 30 more minutes at work. And then turn it in so I could leave. I got lazy. I said, well, these people that build the ads, this is for Sunday's newspaper. They'll do it tomorrow morning. So I didn't turn it in and I turned it in on Friday morning. I came back at lunch and the head of the the department that actually made, built the ads, I saw him standing in my boss's office and the advertising director had a glass lined office. And I could see him yelling. (laughs) 
he was mad. And somehow I thought that was something about, had something to do with me. (laughs) And then I saw my boss. And I was a little bit of a sexist at the time, you know. I hadn't had any female bosses. And she looked at me through the glass and she went, And she called me into her glass office and she said, did you turn in this ad late this morning? And I said, yes, ma'am, I did. So she pulled out a chainsaw and she started cutting at my left foot and she went up my leg and up my hip and up my shoulders and my hands. She went across my head and down my other shoulder and across all, all these fingers grew back. She went down my right torso, down my leg. She chewed me up and down. And all the time, the, the other manager was just standing here like this fuming at me. And then I saw something in the spirit realm with my spirit eye. I saw the Lord Jesus standing behind her eight feet tall, pointing at me saying, I did this. You listen to her. You have to change. And I want you to stop your lazy work habits right now. Do you understand? Oh. And I said to my boss, I am so sorry. It will never happen again. Please forgive me. We have to see God in the background because God is trying to do four things in us. He wants a reverent spirit. Everyone say reverent spirit. What do you mean? Well, I mean this. I shared this last week. Would you read this with me? This verse fixed more things in our youth group with kids being angry at their parents It fixed my brother's relationship, even though we were grown men with my parents. Read it, please. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that if you do this, God will see that your life will go well because you're building a legacy of respect and you will prosper. No respect no prosper. And I learned to respect my parents and others in authority because human authority is God's idea. No human thought it up. That's how he works. If there's no authority, what is there? The answer is always on the screen. If there's no authority, what is there? I would rather have bad authority or some authority than chaos. I don't want chaos. A reverent spirit means at all times we show respect to the people over us and frankly, respect to the people under us. We show respect to strangers. Whether it's the policeman, it's the coach, the person that owns a family, I'm going to respect mom and dad. That's how the kingdom works. Well, why, Steve? Here's the reason. Everybody wants respect. But if you don't learn to give respect, you will never receive respect. 
Well, my husband, he doesn't deserve respect. He won't pray with me. He won't hardly come to church. He sits around drinking beer every night. He's lazy. He's this, he's that. I go, honey, if you don't respect him, he's never going to change. Well, I'm not going to show respect to my boss. He's one of the lowest people I know. If you don't show him respect, you won't see God work in that company. You're the Christian. He's not. And I want to say, friends, this has got to be taught in every home. Every home to adults and children. I've been married to my wife for 43 years. And as a testimony, I love her more now than I've ever loved her. I love being with her. I love taking care of her. I love meeting her needs. Early on, I was curt, critical, arrogant. But Jesus has just about knocked all of that out of me. And when it comes out, I, I ask her forgiveness. Men... Don't you ever show disrespect to your woman. Never. Don't let your kids show her disrespect either. And wives, don't let your kids show disrespect to their dads. This is very important. I want to come home to a house of peace. I don't want fighting in my... I can take fighting other places. I cannot take it in my house. And the only way it stops in my house is if we all respect each other. I've told my kids, I'm never going to treat you that way and I'm not going to let you treat me that way. There will never be any love until there's respect first. And I want to say this, there's no excuse to ever be disrespectful and irreverent. And I, hey, I get it. I've been disrespectful. I get it. You may not like our governor. You may not like our president. You may not like our mayor. But I don't need to be disrespectful to them. If I need to speak up, I need to speak up. I need to pray for them. I need to vote right. Being disrespectful just messes me up. It doesn't help them. So, here's the deal. See the hammer? See the hammer? Everyone see the hammer? Do you see the hammer? you see the hot steel? Most of us, we never learn to be respectful until we're underneath people who are difficult. What's the key? <clears throat> here's the key. Are you ready for it? I got to separate the position of the person in authority with their personality. Here's the story, Acts 23. Paul is standing before the, the governing body of Jews, the Sanhedrin. And he's standing there and he op- he's before the most corrupt high priest in the history of Israel. Not the original Annas, but the Annas 30 years later. It was a political position. He was a murdering thug. Paul opens up the Sanhedrin by saying, I have lived my life with perfect good conscience before God up to this day. And that thug, Annas, on the throne, he yells, slap that man. 
and a big burly guy draws his hand and practically knocks Paul's face off. And Paul is a feisty guy. I don't know if he knocked him to the ground or what, but Paul said, well, tell you what, bud, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall of gypsum and fiber and whatever else. And he said, you judge me according to the law when you have just broken the law by striking me in the court. And then a bystander says, do you dare revile God's high priest? And look what Paul says. I am so sorry I was not aware that he was a high priest. And he says, it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So when we give respect, it's unto the Lord rather than to the leader because they deserve it. The second one is a grateful spirit. Now, I might get to meddling here. If I do, please forgive me. But a follower of Jesus that is constantly unhappy, and you've been unhappy and sad for a long, long time, and I know bad things happen to all of us. I know tragic things. We all get our heart broken. But some of the people that are the most grateful that I've met around the world are the people that have the toughest lives and they are so grateful. We don't need to let things take our joy from us. We don't need to focus on what we lost and not what's working. We need to focus on what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do. And here, I'm sorry if I'm meddling. When a wife constantly has a sad countenance it kind of looks bad on her husband on the other hand gratitude can motivate authority gratitude motivates everybody i don't know about do you i like to be with people that are grateful hold your hand up you like to be with people that are grateful i want to be that kind of person you know, about 20 years ago, I was in Ethiopia for 10 or 20 days. I don't remember. We were working with the church. We had, we had supported church planters, and we could support a church planter. Ethiopia is the size of Alaska for 50 bucks, 50 bucks. They lived off 50 bucks. So I got to go, and I got to meet our five church planters. And the last one that our church supported he waited to meet with me, and when I saw him, it broke my heart. He had one leg. He had a little pair of ragged shorts on. He had a little ragged T-shirt. <clears throat> and obviously, your pastor has been on crutches quite a bit. But he was on a crutch, one crutch. And the one crutch, do you know what it was? It was a broomstick. And it didn't have the cross piece. And he had that broomstick stuck up in his armpit. And he didn't have any shoes. He didn't have a car, didn't have a motorbike. And I went, man, this is a tough, 
tough man. And boy, he had the joy of the Lord on his face. He was a weight about a third of what I weighed. And I asked him, the translator, I said, are you a pastor? He said, oh, yes, glory to God, I'm a pastor. I said, well, bless God. I said, where is your church? And he said, which church? I said, you have more than one church? He said, I have six churches. I said, you have six churches? And I just messes with me. Cause I'm, and, I, and I said, how do you get to your six churches? Oh, I walk. Which means he's got that broomstick stuck in his armpit. And I said, well, I'm curious, how far apart are your churches? He said, oh, they're pretty close together. It's just about a 120-mile radius. And he got to all of them every week. Well, when I meet people like him, I don't want to complain about anything. I got nothing to complain about. I should be the most grateful person on the face of the earth. Because gratitude, young people, please listen, is more attractive than anything with your hair. It's more attractive than any dress or shirt. It is so winsome, a heart of gratitude. The key is this. Well, how do I get grateful, Lord? Here's how you do it. You give all your expectations up to the Lord. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, we studied weeks ago. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. See, any man carrying a cross is a dead man. And if you committed to following Jesus, you are a dead man. And a dead man has no rights because it's expectations that make us grumpy it's expectations that take our joy well they didn't treat me well or that person wasn't my friend or i didn't get this or i didn't get that and so we have these expectations and they just kill us so the key is give up your expectations if you're dead, you have no expectations. If you're dead to yourself and alive to Jesus, you've given up all your rights. I don't have a right to a college education. I don't have a right to a car. I don't have a right to a nice house. I don't have a right to get married. Now, now, don't give up your responsibilities. Keep your responsibilities. Give up your rights. Because what happens is the Lord ends up providing for us And everything he provides is a privilege. I have food, I'm grateful. If I have a place to serve, I'm grateful. If I have a place to lay down, I'm grateful. If I have clothing that keeps me warm, I'm grateful. Now, can we read this verse together? I memorized it. One of my first verses. Can you say it with me? For my God will supply half my need. Let's try it again. My God will supply some of all my needs. Did he say all? All means, what does all mean? My emotional needs, my financial needs, my physical needs, my relational needs. He promised my job doesn't give me, doesn't meet my needs. My husband can never meet all my needs. My wife cannot meet all my needs. But whatever my wife does for me is a blessing. 
It is a privilege. And when I give that privilege back, it makes me grateful instead of resentful. The third thing is a servant's heart. Everyone say servant's heart. God's way to greatness is through service. If anybody wants to be first, be servant of all. I think this is a duplicate slide. Jesus went on to say, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You want to be fulfilled? Be the biggest servant in your house. Be the biggest servant in your company. And I would just ask, what is it going to take for God to get you out of the attitude that you have to be served. Does he have to take everything away? You know, that's what he did with me. He took just about everything I trusted away to get my attention. Here Joseph is. Called of God, age 17. He tells these prophecies that one day he's going to rule over everything and his family, even mom and dad, will bow down to him. That's not real popular around the dinner table. And what that'll do is get you thrown into a pit and, and sold to Arab slave traders. That's what it'll do for you. So... <clears throat> God, here's a promise your pastor will make to you. God always rewards a servant's heart. You don't care who gets the credit. You're the last in line. You give up your food. You give it your your place. Because God has a hard time finding people that want to be a servant. And they rise through the ranks because they make everybody else's life better. Do you see how long it took Joseph to figure this out? How long? Does anybody know? Remember, third grade level, answers on the screen. How long? 13 years. 13 years. And Potiphar, who's like over the army of Pharaoh, who was over the jail system, he placed Joseph over the jail system of the empire of Egypt And Joseph, because he had a servant's heart, he learned it the hard way. He watched him. And even though he wasn't a believer, he saw that everything Joseph touched, God blessed. How many want that kind of blessing on your life? Everything you touch, God helps you. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But Steve, how do I get there? Here's a simple way. I'm not telling you it's easy, but here's a simple way. Get excited about making other people successful rather than making yourself successful. If you make other people successful, they will notice and God will notice. And the last one, I'm hoping this is a blessing to you. I'm learning these the hard way because I'm a knucklehead. The worship team, would you guys come? Here's the last one, and it's called a quiet spirit. Everyone say quiet spirit. It has nothing to do with how much you talk or don't talk. It means you're quiet on the inside. You see the picture? Do you see the picture? 
That's a quiet spirit. Lord, I'm at rest. I have an inward confidence that my life may be falling apart on the outside. There's nothing good happening on the outside. But I'm at rest because I know no matter how difficult the outward circumstances are, you still have me. And you're going to raise me up. And you're going to write the final chapter. Now, here's maybe the second Bible verse I memorized. If you never memorized this, please do. Let's read it together. For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God doesn't cause all things, but he wants to work in the background of even the most difficult things because you love him and you're called. On the other hand, the devil, the roaring lion, he wants us to fear to worry and panic. Do you know in Africa, the lion that you hear roaring often is the one, the old male, that's got broken teeth. He's got arthritic hips. He can no longer hunt. And he's growing across the plain, roaring, and he's scaring the, pr- the prey, the zebras, the wildebeest, the antelope, to a trap where the lionesses are ready for the kill. When we're afraid, when we're about to worry, don't run. Run toward the roar because he's been defeated. And we need to trust him. Lord, I don't like what's happening, but I trust you. I trust you. And I choose peace over worry. And Lord, I choose rest over panic. And I have to keep coming back 10 times. And I will do what First Peter 5 says. I'm going to cast, like you throw a football, I'm going to cast my care on you because you care for me. You say, Steve, that's, that doesn't sound easy. It's not, but here's how you do it. Are you ready? First, define your responsibilities. What do you mean? Things are not going good at work. Okay, what am I responsible for at work? I'm responsible for four things. And I'm going to be doing those four things. And I'm going to be the best. Things are not going good in my marriage. What do you, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm responsible for these three things. I'm going to treat my spouse better than anybody in the world. I will always be kind. I will always show respect. I will serve. That's my game plan. And Lord, you make up the difference. I got 2% I can do. But step in, please, and do the 98%. And then last, to see the value, even when it doesn't turn out good. See, the devil will say, see there, you can't trust God. Look what happened. And you tell the devil, Yeah, you're right. It didn't turn out the way I thought. Yeah, I'm crushed. 
Yes, I'm hurting really bad right now. But I still trust God more than I ever have. And I'm going to rest. I'm going to rest because, God, this is not the final page in my book. This is not the final chapter. There's a lot more chapters to come. And the miracles are on their way. And the changed lives are coming. And I will be a better man. I will be a stronger woman. And my family is going to see God. And people will fall in love with the Lord because what we've been through. Because I'm going to hold on. And I'm going to trust. And you will write the final chapters. Not the devil. Let's give the Lord a round of gratitude. Lord, we thank you today that you always write the final chapter. We can only see the one we're in. But like Joseph, Lord, we will be busy about serving you, making lives better, and letting you bring about the good you've got in store for us. I bind fear today. I bind anger today. I bind disappointment today, and we release faith. We release rest and we release trust in Jesus' name. And as we close, if you're watching online and you've never given your heart to Jesus, stop fighting him. Stop resisting. Just say, Jesus, I'll let go today. I give you my life. I surrender. Make me your child because I will serve you for the rest of my days. As we conclude our service, the altar is open. If you need to do business with the Lord, come and get along with him or let someone pray with you and agree. is available as well if you need prayer there'll be people who can pray with you
To enter the home.
children, you can go get them now. And if you're praying, you're welcome to stay at the altar and pray. We thank you for worshiping with us today. Have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please read out, reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.